0: Hello everybody, welcome to another Tame the True podcast. This week we're gonna be joined by Dr. Christian Rennie, Doctor Anita Goyle, and Doctor Micah Dang, who are gonna be helping us break down some of the literature surrounding the use of vasopressin. Vasopressin typically gets kind of second billing in terms of pressors, in my mind at least. And so guys, I'm curious as to what made you choose these articles.
1: So a few questions arise in terms of the impetus for reviewing uh, vasopressin's benefit here. Um, The first being, why might the kidneys be the nidus of potential benefit um, where vasopressin might win out over norepinephrine, especially in septic shock? And that's a pretty simple answer. Uh, The kidneys are one of sepsis' earliest victims, essentially, uh, through some combination of pre-renal hypoperfusion and renal microvascular dysfunction that occur in septic shock. There are some data starting with a study in circulation in the late 1990s that the microvascular renal dysfunction stems largely from a relative vasopressin deficiency in septic shock. So not only is vasopressin systemically vasoconstrictive, but it also constricts the efferent arterial and theoretically boosts renal flow while ameliorating this microvascular dysfunction. It's a prime candidate for study in specifically septic shock and renal injury for these reasons. Another question is, what else does vasopressin bring to the table that norepinephrine does not in septic shock? Vasopressin might be enticing, not just for its renal effects, but also in patients for whom norepi's beta-adrenergic effects might be undesirable. So to me, I think of the septic shock patient in atrial fibrillation with RVR, where it might be helpful to have an alternative agent that will address the vasoplegia of sepsis without necessarily driving the heart even faster.
0: Excellent. Interesting. So what articles did you guys look at?
2: So the VAST trial was the first of the three studies that came out, and it was actually published in 2008. It was titled Vasopressin and Septic Shock Trial, or VAST. The goal of this trial sought to answer the question, in patients with septic shock, if additional vasopressin decreased mortality compared to the standard norepinephrine. This was a study uh, that was a multi-center, randomized, stratified, double-blind trial it included 779 patients with septic shock, defined as resistant to 500 milliliter fluid challenge, currently being treated with low-dose norepinephrine or equivalent pressor to maintain a map of 65 to 75 millimeters of mercury. If the patients met inclusion criteria, they were randomized to one of two arms, the addition of vasopressin versus additional norepinephrine to the current treatment regimen. The primary endpoint was 28-day mortality With multiple secondary endpoints including 90-day mortality, free of organ dysfunction, pressor use, mechanical ventilation, or requirements for renal replacement, free of steroid use, and length of stay. Ultimately 396 patients received vasopressin and 382 patients received norepinephrine. The groups were similar at baseline, however the norepinephrine group had an older age and the vasopressin group had a higher rate of cumulative organ dysfunction as well as hematologic abnormalities. Bottom line from this study and the ultimate findings that there was no difference in primary or secondary outcomes between the two treatment arms. Study data was collected from 2001 to 2007, which was shortly after the publication of the Manny's River Trial. The ideas on treatment of septic shock was evolving as it still is today. Treatment, as we know, for septic shock focuses on early administration of antibiotics and maintaining blood pressure with fluid as well as vasopressors that include norepinephrine and vasopressin. Up until this date, studies looking at vasopressin have not demonstrated its safety or efficacy. However, vasopressin has been noted to increase blood pressure, decrease catecholamine requirements, and improve renal function compared with control agents, which was the goal of this study. Interestingly, these authors also completed a subgroup analysis looking at less severe septic shock versus more severe septic shock. The authors defined a less severe septic shock versus more severe septic shock based on the norepinephrine dose. This is arbitrary and does not necessarily correlate with how sick patients actually are. When analyzing mortality at 28 days and 90 days, using this subgroup analysis, it suggested a survival benefit for vasopressin in the less severe sepsis group. The authors use this for potential analysis in the future and not making any large claims about this analysis. These authors also collected baseline vasopressin levels in both groups and noted that plasma vasopressin levels increase in the vasopressin group which is of no surprise, compared to the norepinephrine group, where there was no change. Obviously, this is intuitive and demonstrates that patients in septic shock have disproportionately low vasopressin levels and may suggest a possible vasopressin deficiency. What this clinically means still needs to be determined. This was ultimately a large study with multiple criticisms. First off, the study makes no mention of fluid administration or time to antibiotics, as I already mentioned. Both of these are very important in the treatment of sepsis as we know today. In addition, patients did not receive study intervention until 11 to 12 hours into meeting inclusion criteria and randomization, for which many of these patients have already met their blood pressure goals. I think more importantly, though, this study also failed to include patients with heart failure, defined as NYHA class 3 and 4, as well as ischemic heart disease. Vasopressin is known to have adverse cardiovascular effects, and it would be important to analyze in this subgroup of patients, ultimately to see if there is a mortality difference and if it is applicable to our patient population. It should also be noted this study was underpowered given the lower than expected mortality rate that was observed. This may also suggest a possible selection bias. The bottom line from this study is that patients with septic shock on catecholamine vasopressors such as norepinephrine, the addition of low-dose vasopressin does not reduce all-cause mortality at 28 days, and authors failed to find any difference between the secondary outcomes. The study did, however, reaffirm already known facts about vasopressin use in septic shock that it ultimately reduces additional use of catecholamine, and it does not increase mortality in these patients. This reinforces how we use vasopressin as an adjunct.
0: Excellent. Thanks for that coverage. So basically looking at vasopressin in this particular paper, they didn't see a mortality benefit at all. now, we're going to take a look at another paper now, uh, which is this VANKS trial, which is a little bit different, although somewhat similar. Obviously, septic shock is a complicated shock state that includes both a cardiogenic component as well as a vasodilatory component, and the next paper we're going to look at is really more focused on this sort of a vasoplegic state. So what paper was that?
3: Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, so this, the paper that I looked at is the Vanks randomized control trial, which came out in 2017. The article stands for Vasopressin versus Norepinephrine in Patients with Vasoplegic Shock After Cardiac Surgery. As Dr. Hill mentioned, this is obviously a little bit different than our other two papers that we looked at, which were purely looking at septic shock. We felt it was appropriate to include, however, because vasoplegia in and of itself is defined as post-op perfusion syndrome characterized by low vascular resistance and high cardiac output, similar to the state that you find most of our septic shock patients in. The primary question that this study was asking was if administration of vasopression to patients with vasoplegic shock after cardiac surgery would be associated with fewer post-op complications and mortality compared to norepinephrine administration. It is a single center study done at the Heart Institute at the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. Data was collected from January 2012 to March 2014 It is a randomized, double-blind trial. There was a total of 2,157 patients that were screened. 67% did not meet inclusion criteria, and 14% met exclusion criteria. So in total, only 330 underwent randomization in the final process, and 300 actually received study drugs. Inclusion criteria included patients that were 18 years or older undergoing cabbage valve replacement cardiopulmonary bypass inclusion criteria also included requirement of vasopressor drugs for vasodilatory shock within 48 hours after cardiopulmonary bypass weaning they defined this as refractory hypotension with maps less than 65 resistant to a one liter fluid challenge with cardiac index of greater than 2.2. Important exclusion criteria included aortic surgery, heart transplantation, preoperative use of vasopressors, presence of ventricular assist devices other than balloon pumps, severe hyponatremia, which they defined as less than 130, acute coronary syndrome, acute mesenteric ischemia, history of Raynaud's, pregnancy, and neoplasm. As I said, 300 patients in total were randomized in this. Under randomization, they tried to use blinding for the drugs such that they diluted the doses so that the titration of them would be equivalent, so that nurses titrating the doses would not know whether they were titrating vaso or norepi. Vasopressin started at 0.01 units per minute and was titrated to a maximum of 0.06 units per minute whereas norepinephrine started at 10 mics per minute and was titrated to a maximum of 60 mics per minute. Initially, the study had a primary endpoint of looking at days alive and free of organ dysfunction at 28 days, but at some point in the middle of the study, they, they did actually change their primary endpoint to a composite endpoint mortality or severe post-operative complications within 30 days after randomization. They included these post-op complications such as stroke, requirement of mechanical ventilation for longer than 48 hours, deep sternal wound infection, re-operation, and acute renal failure. We did discuss at length, and I'll discuss in a little bit, the change in the primary endpoints, but it should be noted that the authors actually included their original data from their primary endpoints in a separate online analysis, and some of their results end up being somewhat similar to what their primary endpoint was after they changed it. The authors also looked at secondary endpoints, including 30-day incidence of infection, septic shock, arrhythmias, duration of mechanical ventilation, time to stability of hemodynamics, as well as incidence of digital ischemia, acute myocardial infarction, mesenteric ischemia, ICU and hospital lengths of stays. When you look at the actual results of the paper, they reported that their primary outcomes of mortality and complications occurred in 32% of the vasopressin patients and 49% of the norepinephrine patients, which was a statistically significant difference with a p-value of 0.0014. However, when you break down this analysis and look at where this significant p-value is coming from, Most of this is coming from the acute renal failure as one of their complications of primary outcome with a p-value at less than 0.0001. And when you actually look at 30-day mortality, mechanical ventilation greater than 48 hours, sternal wound infection, reoperation, and stroke as the other primary outcomes, none of those were statistically significant differences between the norepinephrine and the vasopressin groups. When you look at their secondary outcomes of infection, septic shock, atrial fibrillation, and ventricular arrhythmias, the only one with statistical significant difference between norepinephrine and vasopressin was less incidence Of atrial fibrillation. So overall what do I think about this study? I think methods wise it was a very well done paper. Randomization was good. They obtained the number of patients that they wanted for their power calculations. Inclusion and exclusion criteria seemed fair even though it potentially narrowed the patients that the study can be generalized to did help to decrease possible confounding variables. Also looking at the baseline characteristics of patients in the two groups between norepinephrine and vasopressin, it seemed like the groups were relatively similar, again lending credit towards the results. Some of the criticisms I have of this paper... obviously they did change their primary endpoint at some point during the study. I don't know how much that affected their actual results because it seemed they did this before analyzing any of the results. And again, they did publish most of their studies from their initial primary outcome online, and it seemed there was no significant difference between the two in terms of end organ dysfunction. Um, I do think that this study has some interesting points. It's obviously difficult to generalize to our patient population, especially if we're trying to look simply at patients in septic shock requiring pressors in the emergency department. We did have one interesting point during our journal club where we discussed whether or not this would be generalizable potentially to post-cardiac arrest patients on which we obtain ROSC in the emergency department. We discussed this as these patients may be more likely to have the vasoplegic syndrome as described in this paper and therefore be more likely to respond better to vasopressin than to norepinephrine. This would be an interesting line of thinking to follow for potentially further randomized control trials, although, as we know, it's hard to accomplish this in our cardiac arrest patients due to lack of available patients and other variables. One of the other interesting points that this paper brought up later in the discussion was when they discussed endogenous vasopressin levels. They talked about how Endogenous vasopressin levels are indeed decreased in patients with this vasoplegic syndrome, similar to how they are decreased in sepsis, as described in several other papers, the vast study that we discussed here included. This study did reveal that in patients with vasoplegic syndrome, they are likely to have even lower vasopressin levels than described in patients with sepsis, thus, potentially explaining the statistically significant results seen in this paper advocating for vasopressin compared to the other papers that we've discussed here where there are only trends towards significance. So in summation, this study did show a statistically significant effect of vasopressin for patients with vasoplegic shock, particularly helping in patients to decrease the amount of acute kidney injury, decrease ICU length of stay, decrease the frequency of atrial arrhythmias, such as atrial fibrillation, and importantly, showing no statistically significant difference in severe side effects between vasopressin and norepinephrine.
0: All right, excellent. So what is overall a, a methodologically well-done paper from a randomized control trial standpoint, um, blinding and, and concealment of, of, the, of the randomization um including a composite outcome that includes mortality, where there is definitely a statistical significance. However, in breaking down that composite outcome, it appears that really acute renal failure is is where the most change is noted, and mortality is really no difference between the two. So... Let's take a step back. We're going to wind it back a little bit, and we're going to go back to sepsis from this vasoplegic shock state. Um, We're going to talk about a more recent paper looking at vasopressin and kidney failure in patients with septic shock.
1: The VANISH trial was a multicenter factorial, two-by-two, double-blind, randomized trial conducted in 18 British ICUs. It was conducted between 2013 and 2015 and published in 2016. It was designed to evaluate whether vasopressin might be a reasonable alternative to norepinephrine as a first-line presser for septic shock, whether vasopressin might confer some nephroprotective benefit to patients at risk of acute kidney injury, and whether steroids might impact this. Spoiler alert, they do not. Vanish follows a series of small RCTs from early 2000s to 2009 suggesting vasopressin's renal benefit, including the VAS trial, which we discussed today. The goal of Vanish was to compare norepinephrine and vasopressin as first-line pressors, as well as the impact of steroids with each of these. Necessary to this is its two-by-two two factorial design. In terms of process, they enrolled 421 septic shock patients into four groups. These patients had to be greater than 16 years of age with greater than or equal to two out of four SERS criteria, requiring pressor and having completed an appropriate fluid loading. The groups were norepinephrine and steroids norepinephrine and placebo, vasopressin and steroids, and vasopressin and placebo. Norepinephrine was titrated to a maximum of 12 mics per minute and vasopressin was titrated to 0.06 units per minute, both of which had a map goal of 70. The groups only got the steroid or placebo if they had refractory shock despite those maximum doses of pressors. The primary endpoint was a composite endpoint related to the number of renal failure-free days within the first 28 days, defined as AKIN 3 which refers to the Acute Kidney Injury Network Stage 3 definition of kidney injury. This is essentially three times your baseline creatinine, any creatinine of greater than four, urine output less than 0.3 cc's per kilo per hour for 24 hours, anuria times 12 hours, or initiation of dialysis. VANISH was a well-randomized, double-blinded trial and they accomplished this by covering the labels of the vials that were used. It was conducted as an intention-to-treat analysis, except for patients who did not require steroids. And the discrete secondary endpoints were creatinine, urine output, and initiation of dialysis. The results of this study are pretty interesting, especially when we appreciate some of its nuances. By the Aiken 3 primary metric, the study did not achieve this endpoint. It did not prove a statistically significant difference in Aiken 3 days between vasopressin and norepinephrine. Steroids, as well, had no significant difference compared to placebo. However, at least for pressers, the story does not really stop there. Interestingly, vasopressin outperformed norepinephrine on all three of the secondary endpoints. Lower creatinine overall, a higher urine output overall, and a statistically significant reduction in dialysis by approximately 10%. So this begs the question of how this could happen. How could vasopressin fail to demonstrate superiority in the primary endpoint, but clearly and consistently outperform on the secondary endpoints? So I tried to research this question and found the Palmcrit blog and very interesting post written by Dr. Josh Farkas, an intensivist at the University of Vermont. He has a fantastic discussion that addresses this very question. The predominating hypothesis he proposes seems to be that this is a flaw in the primary endpoint's design. The akin 3 metric is flawed for a few reasons. Number one, it was too limiting in its binary cutoffs. That is to say, a creatinine of greater than four and a creatinine of 3.9 may be similar in our eyes, but by eight and three, they are diametrically opposed in their result. Number two, the endpoint's composite nature means it weighs all metrics equally. Urine output being decreased is the same as creatinine being elevated is the same as being started on dialysis. And this doesn't really jive with, well, reality. Number three, it's important to remember that the study started after patients were volume loaded. They had already received a quote-unquote adequate intravenous fluid resuscitation at time zero in the study. So we are already starting with a well-hydrated creatinine, one that may be even more robust than the patient's baseline health. Finally, there are more prominent temporal and geographical limitations here. Creatinine and urine output were only measured while the patient was in the ICU and not if they were transferred out. Further, the study only followed patients over the course of 28 days, so while probably not hugely significant, we are not getting the full picture. Overall, these issues may explain why we did not see the signal-to-noise ratio we expected of vasopressin from a zoomed-out perspective, but did see robust results on the secondary endpoints. It also reminds us that you cannot judge a book by its cover nor a study from its abstract. Looking beyond just the renal benefits, was there a significant difference in mortality between vasopressin titrated to 0.06 and norepinephrine titrated to 12 as a first-line presser? Looking at the 95% confidence intervals, it appears not. The 0.06 ceiling might raise eyebrows among those used to 0.04, such as our institution. Um, And the Vanish authors addressed this, citing a 2010 study in intensive care medicine that found 0.06 units per minute produced improved hemodynamics versus 0.03 and did not have any difference in adverse effects. I don't think this issue limits vasopressin as a first-line presser, because if you don't want to go above 0.04, you don't have to. You can just add on norepinephrine or even epinephrine as second-line to get you to your MAP goal. Ultimately, as a first-line presser, vasopressin produced no statistically significant mortality difference compared with norepinephrine, but at the same time, it did not achieve the trial design primary endpoint of Akin-3 renal failure. It did, however, come out the winner on all three secondary endpoints related to renal benefit. I'd be interested to hear what my colleagues have to say in terms of the bottom line here, especially taken in context of preceding trials and how we should be extrapolating this to our clinical practice.
0: All right, guys, so what do you think? Um, how are you going to use vasopressin now that you've read these couple articles and based on what you know from your established practice pattern, are you going to change anything? Are you going to be pushing towards it, use it first line?
1: The bottom line is we have now five randomized controlled trials comparing vaso versus norepinephrine, all showing either non-inferiority or areas of potential benefit to vaso. Um, I think ultimately, while to some degree this is a zero-sum game, there definitely may be certain types of patients where vasopressin early on is going to benefit them. Does this mean that I'm going to go out and start vasopressin as our first-line presser in everybody with septic shock? Probably not, especially since our institution doesn't typically titrate it up to something as high as 0.06 units per minute, at least not right now. But it definitely holds up as its own potential first-line presser. I think of the elderly septic shock high risk for AKI patient who is already in atrial fibrillation, likely manifesting some form of compensated sepsis. Why make that worse with norepinephrine when you could potentially use an agent that will address both both the distributive shock features of sepsis and avoid making them any more adrenergically inclined than they already are?
3: Yeah, I I agree with Christian. I I think it is hard to change local practice pattern or even what might be more of a national practice pattern where we go first line to norepinephrine for septic shock. I do think that there is a patient population that would benefit from using vasopressin before norepinephrine, similar to what Christian just described. I also found it interesting in these papers, while we tend to think of only adding vasopressin after norepinephrine is already running on certain patients. It seems these papers point towards vasopressin being able to hold its own as a good vasopressor without first adding norepinephrine. Um, and I think that's an important point, especially in the patient populations that we have already brought up, that we can start with vasopressin and then add libafed if needed, as opposed to the other way around.
2: Uh, And to jump on the bandwagon, I too would agree with uh, what has already been said. Uh, I do believe that the VAST trial, as it was published in 2008, is just reaffirming how we use vasopressin today as an adjunct. And interestingly, in the the VANCs as well as the VANISH trial, Uh, The vasopressin does have a trend um, to be potential benefit in a certain patient population. However, I don't think the data is yet compelling enough or there to change practice patterns for me yet. Uh, But I definitely look forward to what's going to be coming out and hopefully in the near future.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you all for what was truly a superb discussion of the literature surrounding the use of vasopressin. I know that personally, after having read these articles, I'm a lot more comfortable in my knowledge set as far as the evidence surrounding vasopressin and the use of vasopressin, and probably won't forget it near as much as I did previously. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next time on another Taming the True podcast.